world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Don't worry, we'll edit it and post it. <laughs> okay. Sorry, did you just say glue? <laughs> Palpatine, Palpatine, what do I do with this horse? Glue it. <laughs> Glue it. <laughs> what do I do with all this beef? Stew it. <laughs> Palpatine, what do I do with all these frogs? Brew it. <laughs> Palpatine, my balloon deflated. Blew it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Palpatine, I want to give up on this puzzle. Screw it. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast, where we apparently talk about, like, decades-old internet meme Star Wars jokes. I feel like those are old jokes now. I don't know. I don't know. It tickled my fancy. So we'll call it evergreen. How about that? If if uh, if you're not happy with those jokes, Steven, and you insult me, you're going to ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) anyway i'm steven i've got aldo and john with me we are here to talk about some comics that we've been reading gonna just gonna move on from that make it there someday do it nike wait am i doing it right (laughs) yeah yeah you're doing it you're doing it (laughs) you're doing it peter you're doing it So we read two stories today. Where do we want to start with our uh, discussion? (laughs) I can take take Captain Marvel because it's very straightforward. I think it'll it won't be quite as much discussion because it's it's it just is in and out done real quick. I read we read Captain Marvel 2014 by Kelly Sudaconic and Marcio Takara. Really, really like this writer and artist. The covers are David Lopez and David Lopez. Again, uh, yes, for both covers. So, Captain Marvel has just been out Captain Marveling. She's saved a people and is trying to rendezvous back up with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Has a stowaway um, on board her ship. She meets back up with Rocket Raccoon, who has been tasked with watching over her cat and her ship her ship who do we know why her ship's ai uh, is called harrison is there some kind of everything in space is a sci-fi pop reference okay that makes sense so i went back one issue before this and it didn't help explain a lot um we meet up with captain marvel she's having a flashback or not a flashback but a nightmare about you know not being able to save all of her teammates she has a uh, girl named tick an alien girl named tick who stood away on her ship, um, who's really trying to be her sidekick, and she's like, no, nah, you, you can't you can't be me. Um, Rocket Raccoon keeps referring to her cat as a flurkin, and she says, it's a cat, don't mess with my cat, and she's trying to, Rocket Raccoon is trying to sell this cat on the black market, calling it a flurkin. They are hit in space by an enormous, spidery, black, gooey monster that's threatening to eat up their ship, and come to find out, oh, the cat really is an animal called a flurkin, and it has laid hundreds of eggs all throughout the ship. Um, terrible, disgusting little gooey red eggs that uh, little kittens are popping out of. Tribbles style, if you will. And so Captain Marvel 
and Rocket have to fight off this awful black gooey monster thing that is trying to eat their ship in the Flurkin, who turns out is not just this, you know, like, oh, it's an alien cat that, you know, uh, lays eggs. It also has horrible, horrible, disgusting, terrible tentacles that it just lets loose and uh, um, devours this monster that's after it. And Rocket Raccoon, who was just going to sell it out, is uh, taken aback by how violent and terrifying it is. Um, so that's pretty much it. Chewy, her cat, stays with Captain Marvel. Tick stays, uh, hangs around with Captain Marvel, while the rest of the little kittens are in a uh, refugee rehab and relocation center, safe and sound, and they go off to keep going about their Captain uh, Marvel adventures together. And that's it. I am trying to bring up the colorists because I enjoy the colors in this. Um, I like Marcio Takara a lot. I follow him on uh, Instagram. And like before, I think we've uh, seen any of his art on our show here and really enjoy him. This, in some panels, it almost feels like it was rushed. Like everything is laid out nicely, but some of the uh, line work on uh, Captain Marvel in particular, some of the expressions, it's not quite as polished as I would like. You know, I think, like I said, like the poses are fine. It couple of places, um, I don't know, I'm almost, uh, is it Doug Tenapple who does Earthworm Jim? Um, yep. Some of Rocket kind of, like, I get a vibe kind of of that style. Lee Luffridge did the uh, color. Uh, Joe Caramanga did the lettering. Yeah, it's, I was like, hey, there's a Flurkin story, thinking it would be a couple of, like, oh, where did she get this weird cat? And, oh, it turns out this uh, comic came out before the movie, where this cat is, like, part of the story, and, you know, it's a funny little twist that, oh, this little kitty is this horrifying monster. It's kind of just one and done, and, and it's a fun little story in the middle of, you know, big arcs. The, the one before this, she uh, literally, like, destroys... A vibranium mine by uh, rushing into the planet full speed and blasting it to protect the people and, and keep a resource out of the hands of uh, Jason Spartax, you know, Star-Lord's dad. So this is a good kind of breather between arcs, I think. Uh, what did you guys think of it? Okay, so especially after, like, the last story we read, which was kind of like a heavier, bigger affair, right? Like, this is, ex- like, like you described it, this is like the perfect kind of breather in between stuff. Pick this up after going through a big event type thing. It was nice. It was cute. Uh, we still have, you know, some character development. We still have some of that stuff that, you know, I think makes a good story. But it wasn't heavy. And I really like that. It was, it was a cute palate cleanser is the way I would put it. Yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. I um, wasn't as high on the story as I was hoping I would be. But um, at the same time, I am 100% on board with that. Like, sometimes... I, I, I feel like serialized storytelling, you need stories like this. You just need these little breaks in the big ongoing narrative. It's part of the reason that I think so many people get burned out on the Marvel movies because every movie has to feel like a big event. But sometimes it's okay to just have like a goofy story where you find out that Captain Marvel's cat is an alien with portals in its stomach. Yeah, like uh, I like how it described, you know, like a hamster can hide things in its cheek. It's uh, portals to another dimension. I suppose that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that is like a question I had because in the, in the Captain Marvel movie, which, you know, not my top 10 favorite Marvel movies, but... Very few people's top 10 Marvel movies. I, I'm Marvel glad movie. that it exists, but I'm sad that they couldn't have made something better out of it for as important as yeah. it, it could have been. I yeah. don't... Okay, so super, super quick tangent. I don't think it's necessarily a bad movie. I have talked to a lot of people who it is like their top 10 movie. 
I just have to acknowledge that this is a great movie that is not made for me. So for me, from my personal point of view, it's not a great Marvel movie. To some people, this is exactly what they were were waiting like eight years for. But yeah, I, I don't know. For me, eh, whatever. For a lot of people, it, yeah. it, it was special. There was stuff in there that was definitely... It was definitely made for a different audience. So, Steven, you hear that Aldo hates female empowerment? What do you think about that? <sighs> Surprising. <laughs> All right. You know what? I've written this. It's fine. <laughs> I'll just go ban myself. No, I get, I get it. I get it. I'm glad that I'm glad that it does work for some people because I like I like everybody in it, and I I like yeah. you know that we get the crease and the scrolls and everything. Um, and Brie Larson, she's great, fine, but yeah, it just kind of like it could have been. I'm just I'm just hesitant to call it a bad movie because like the com- one of the conversations I had was I was talking a lot about a lot of my complaints about the movie and I didn't realize how colored my complaints were through like a male audience point of view right that when talking to the people who do like this movie some of my complaints were the things they liked there's stuff that we all agreed on mm-hmm. which is like the flurkin eye reveal of Nick Fury was really dumb mm-hmm. oh that yeah, was really yeah. dumb. And that's that's kind of what I was getting to uh, in a roundabout sort of way, <laughs> is that uh, in the movie, it makes it seem like the tentacles come out of its mouth, like they're part of its body and they're in its mouth, right? And yeah. it kind of seemed that way here, but then they explained the thing about the portal. So are the tentacles coming out of the portal? I think... I'm referring. I'm deferring this to John, who I feel is our prob- is probably our de facto flurkin expert. Oh yeah, you know me. <laughs> our flexpert. I'm or- the flurkin best. Um, <laughs> it, I the way that it made it sound. I'm I'm scrolling. My app has decided to slow down on me as I try to scroll to. Uh, as you decide to scroll. <laughs> they're trying. So they're trying to figure out how to talk to it. And at one point, Rocket has turned the cat, the Harrison AI, to speak cat. So the whole time, this awful monster is, like, trying to invade the the ship. It's just going, meow, meow, meow. Where normally it'd be like, Captain, we have an, an invasive uh, species attacking us, you know. Um, it says, we think Chewie has been gestating her eggs the entire time she's been with you. That would certainly explain her temperament, but I took her to a medical exam. So how was that never turned up? If we ever figure out how to talk to her, we'll ask her. Until then, we think it has to do with her pocket dimensions. Like hamster cheeks, almost. Chewie has physical access to bubbles of space and time that exist in other worlds. It sounds like... Oh, here we go. She can hide things larger than she would appear to be inside those pockets. Eggs, for instance. Tentacles. Yes. We think she can use them for transport, and we're not sure how. Uh, hint for later, when I'm sure Flurkin will get um, Captain Marvel out of trouble. But, I don't know. I always thought that, like, you know, she would she would stuff things in there and was able to, like, you know, the inside was Flurkin and was, like, room for tentacles and everything, and the outside is a cat. So I I thought it was used for storage because, you know, the inside was this awful creature and the, uh, you know, bigger than the outside. Like, you know, TARDIS-like, like a little kitty TARDIS with an awful, um, <laughs> an awful octopus on the inside. Just like Doctor Who. Yeah. So why, um, why it's a cat? And is the whole cat just a doorway to the uh, awful tentacle universe? I don't know. And I'm after reading this explanation from this clearly, I mean, this this doctor here uh, at the uh, rehab center in the Tyvorn cluster, the doctor is wearing glasses. So you know that they are an expert. You know that they are to be trusted um, with this kind of uh, information. So I don't know, guys. It's a scary little cat. Hey, man, that's... Uh... 
That satisfied my curiosity. <laughs> Issue 8, page 10, seems to show all of the tentacles and stuff coming out of the cat's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the movie's got the visual of it right. Just the, the biology, the anatomy of it seemed it. Uh, maybe, maybe it's like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with uh, Benji Mouse and I forget the other mouse's name who are really pan-dimensional beings and the part of them that pops into our universe and our, our dimension is a mouse. But really they are like people in their dimension, just how they appear in ours. So maybe Flurkin is this awful, uh, you know, tentacle monster, but the part we can see is a cat. I think we're overthinking this. A little think, bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are we here for if not to overthink? Okay, but also, them, right? but also to overthink something else. Because I feel like a lot of, uh, like, like I mentioned earlier, it wasn't just hand-waving John away, right? It was a legit observation about Marvel, which a lot of their uh, space stuff is. It wasn't is just ref- hand-waving John away. The, the, the fact that I did, though, is kind of about <laughs> But a lot of stuff in Marvel in space is like a sci-fi reference. And I feel like I'm 90% sure that Harrison being the name is a reference to Harrison Ford. Sounds reasonable, yeah. That would make yeah, sense. Yeah, Han Solo. Yeah. And that seems like a reference that uh, Captain Marvel would actually make intentionally. Yeah. Like not just like a Marvel editorial reference, but Captain Marvel is, you know, a pilot. Yeah, exactly. And Han Solo is the best sci-fi pilot. Yeah. Who doesn't, you know, die in his ship at some point. In syndication. Uh, Chewie's the, Chewie, <laughs> Chewbacca is the pilot. Han Solo is the captain. <laughs> uh, part, of, part of what I thought was made, made the whole experience a little funnier to me is that I kept imagining the ship speaking and not like a younger uh, Harrison Ford voice, but like in like current, modern, old, hired, does not give a nerd an inch. Harrison Ford voice. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, like it's being we're being invaded by black goo. What is meow, it? Meow. I, I don't know. Ask George Lewis. <laughs> meow, meow, meow. That's not meow. Meow, meow. <laughs> just, just, just this angry meow, meow. He just meow. starts every time you ask him something hard, he's just like meow. He just switches to meow. We're being invaded by black goo. What is it? Nah, meow, meow. Mm. <laughs> mm. Don't ask that's me how, about that's how I'm gonna read it now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with five. We made four. Child above was in it. It's fine. Fine. <laughs> Blade Runner 2049 is, was really great, but that's more because of, uh, you know... Wow, I just blanked on his name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so, so, are you, so are you a replicate? Uh, I don't know, I just added Ryan it. Ryan I just added it. <laughs> right. I, I love George Harrison. Oh, not George. That's a different man. Altogether. <laughs> I love Harrison Ford. Guys, I don't think this is what Harrison Ford sounds like. <laughs> I just... Uh, he's I just taking love... on a different character now, <laughs> I just love Harrison Ford <laughs> interviews about like the the nerdy sci-fi movies he's in because he does not care. He does not care at all. <laughs> no, he's an actor. He's not like there are some actors who like Mark Hamill is a, a fan, you know, who also is an actor. Uh, Harrison Ford is an actor. Period. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like he'll he'll read this stuff on on the, the page, but he's not going to be invested in it in the same way. <laughs> As someone, you know, I read these comics and now I'm in them. <laughs> He's just like, oh, I'm trying to discover something with my character in this Un- scene. Unironically, I would love to see Harrison Ford in a in a Marvel movie. Mostly because uh, I mostly because I want to see that media tour. I just want to see people asking him questions about the comics and his character and him just not caring. I'm just telling everyone to get alive. He's yeah. Like, oh man. <laughs> Anyways, so uh, all that to say, who would he play? Since since we're on this topic, and we I don't think this book prompts that much, 
that is, no, that is a great question because it would have to be somebody. Oh, that is a really good question. So, so if this was pre Guardians of the Galaxy two, I would actually say I would love him as King Jason Spartax. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. That's actually really that's good really idea. good. Because it would have to be someone old and curmudgeonly like that. Maybe like in the in the supernatural side of of the Marvel universe. Like, there are some conventionally old vampire hunters, right, mm-hmm, that team mm-hmm. up with Blade. Can't remember it. Hannibal? Is Hannibal one of them? I don't remember. One of those guys. What about uh, the father of uh, Elsa Bloodstone? Wasn't he like a, also like a like a hunter? Jason Bloodstone, is that his name? I think so. Maybe? I don't know. The supernatural side of Marvel, I don't know very well, outside of Ghost Rider. Same. And even there. Mm-hmm. He, would be, he would be like a... Like someone adjacent to a superhero team, you know, like he would be like someone's parent. He would be, you know, the inventor of something that gets killed that like kicks them off. Or he would be like the secret bad guy all along. Like there's a bunch of different things he could be. But I'm, I'm tr- really having trouble. Like, how does he fit in? Because he's Han Solo. He's Indiana Jones. Oh, you could you could also he's make Decker, him, you know, you could also make him like a retired Nova. That could work. True. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Rich Ryder. <laughs> No, I guess I I love it. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. He could be, yeah, no, I I buy it. He's even, he's halfway Um, there. I've flown from one end of this universe to the galaxy to the other. (laughs) Never seen anything. (laughs) I'm trying to like, I'm really trying to like, how could he fit into uh, X-Men? But I'm not, I'm not getting anything. Like I'm just, my brain is just like, nah, (laughs) like it's just, that's not right. Don't you know who I am, Ken? I'm the juggernaut. (laughs) 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 oh boy get him in some blue makeup oh my stars and garters i'm the beast Uh, uh, call me call me hank you can sign me up for the worst casting ever which was i think harrison ford is the juggernaut i'm pretty sure we could come up with worst casting if we put our minds oh yeah yeah i'm really happy with that i'm thinking like Dude, he could be Mojo. (laughs) I think that, there we go. We did it. We cracked it, boys. Well done. I'm Yellow Jacket. Can't you tell by the costume? Look at me go. I'm Stilt Man. Stilt Man. He, though he's like some C-list, like, like Spot, like someone that Spider-Man beats in an off issue between, <laughs> between trades. <laughs> oh, yeah when, it, well, yeah, when you open the comic and it's just him throwing him into, like, the jail. Like, like this is how insignificant that fight is. Or he's, like, just a cameo. He's just one of multiple man's dupes that like, <laughs> doesn't quite match up. Hey. Multiple man's dupe went time traveling or something. <laughs> okay, we need to get back on track. Jamie, you left me in the past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, this story, I don't like the Flurkin as a concept. How so? Um, it does make the movie sit a little bit better now that I know that the Flurkin came from the comics. It seemed like a weird thing that they made up for the movie, um, which made me not like it. Now, seeing it in the comics is like, okay, I understand. But I guess, like, for me, it was like, I liked Captain Marvel having a cat. Just, like, a cat, you know, a pet, like a normal person. It's one of the things that made the character kind of relatable to me, which, understandably, was kind of difficult, I think, for a lot of people to, to relate to Captain Marvel. Because she's super strong, she's brash and hot-headed and... Like, the the dream sequence at the beginning of the story kind of highlights, she's not a thinker, she's a doer, which all makes for kind of this interesting character. But for me, the thing that I, like, latched onto was, oh, she's a cat mom. 
I too have had cat babies and I get that. And not gonna lie, so reading this story, like last week we put my cat down. Um, cause she's been sick for months and just wasn't getting better. And then you get to the end of the, the story and you've got this line from Tick where she says, the more you love something, the more you open yourself up to the pain of losing it. That's not foolhardy. That's brave. And you know, happened. I cried. It's fine. I'm okay. I'll get through it one day at a time. But it's like that, that sort of like way that people can get about their pets was an aspect of the character that I really liked, and the pet being a cat was just like, oh, I like cats. And now it's not a cat, it's this creepy alien thing that has tentacle stomachs and weird distended maws, and it's like, okay, it seems like a bad punchline. I'm gonna be honest, Steven, I'm not a fan of cats, and I think that they're secretly trying to kill me anyway, so <laughs> this fit with my head cannon. <laughs> I'm very sorry that you, you've lost your pet because um, that's, you know, that's hard to go through and uh, did not think about that timing when I was like, let's read about the flurkin because it sounds like a bad word, but it's flurkin. So <laughs> that's on me. But yeah, that kind of takes something away from it if, you know, she does, you know, keep treating Chewie like her cat or whatever. Like that, I think, is mostly unchanged. Maybe she just like, you know, watches her back a little more or warns people not to pet it without really being sure that the cat's in a good mood because it's a flirkin. Well, I also hate a lot of like the, the made up sci-fi words It and, and flirkin is pretty low on my list. Oh yeah, Rocket Rocket like has some made up like curse words too, which yeah, that's that's consistent with Rocket and comics. Generally speaking, don't like made up sci-fi words. Um, really not a fan of Star Wars Rebels, the the carabast is their made-up swear word. Not a fan. But I don't have much of substance to say about this other than I, I, I like cats. I miss my cat. And I get this story being all, like, about how Captain Marvel needs to form connections with as sort of literalized through this cat flirkin thing. But yeah, it, it's not deep. It's just kind of a fun little diversion. Well, uh, you want to tell us about the next... <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're on to the next book now. Way to, way to just kill the momentum. <laughs> Gosh. So, <sighs> absolutely slam the brakes. <laughs> somebody call somebody call the Department of Transportation because this, this, this is slow down to a wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we can, we can move on. We can move on, I promise. We're going to now. So we're going to read, or we read... So, we also read Ms. Marvel, a uh, story arc called Crushed. It is uh, the 2014 series of Ms. Mar of Ms. Marvel issues 13, 14, and 15, uh, technically published in 2015, written by G. Willow Wilson, art by Takeshi Miyazawa, colors by Ian Herring and Irma, oh, how do you pronounce that? Nivela? It's K-N-I-I-V-I-L-A, which is great. Um, I just have no idea how to pronounce it. And letters by Joe Carmagna. Yeah, this story picks up after Ms. Marvel has made connections with the Inhumans. Technically, Kamala Khan's powers are inhuman in nature. They were exposed by the Terrigen Mists, or she was exposed to the Terrigen Mists and her powers manifested. She has these sorts of, like, training, mentor-mentee relationship with the Inhumans of Adelan, but doesn't really want to be part of them. She wants to hang out in Jersey City with her friends and her family, and so she kind of has this sort of distance relationship with them. Anyway, after this is sort of established, uh, her family invites over some old family friends from when they all first immigrated to the United States. Kamala's not super enthusiastic about meeting with them because they have a boy in the family who is, you know, sort of the, the perfect Pakistani kid. And he used kid. to eat his boogers. 
And he used to eat his boogers. And she's just like, not into this whole thing, arranged marriages or boogers. But then, of course, the, the guy shows up and it turns out that he is very, very cute and also a huge nerd, just like Kamala. And so they hit it off. She manages to persuade her dad to let them go out together, uh, but her brother has to tag along. While they're out, this crazy supervillain shows up who starts wreaking havoc, has a terrible catchphrase. Uh, she keeps telling people they're going to get a kilowatt right to the head. Kamala ducks into an alley, does a quick change, comes back out, fights with the, the supervillain, who says some things that kind of trigger Kamala. She starts to, like, she recognizes that this villain is a, an inhuman, and the thought of someone who is like her, but is going around and causing terror and potentially inviting a lot of negative scrutiny towards other inhumans, like, this is triggering to Kamala. It kind of reminds her of, like, a lot of the discrimination against Muslims. So she overreacts, completely knocks the, the villain out, like, breaks her jaw, she, we has to get carted away in an ambulance. And so she freaks out and runs away. The dude uh, that she was kind of on this pseudo date with, whose name is Cameron, or Kamran, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, K-A-M-R-A-N, turns up, reveals that he is also an inhuman and saw her. So he invites her out, like they start kind of like sneaking out together, going on like covert dates because Kamala's not allowed to date, uh, but she likes this guy. She almost kisses him. They get almost caught by the police, like trespassing. It's all very cute and teenagery. Then when she's heading to school one day with, uh, her brother and with her friend Bruno, who we saw a lot of in the first uh, Ms. Marvel story arc that we read. Apparently, we don't talk about him much here. Not a bit. Dang it, I was hoping we wouldn't get that joke. Uh, hate it so much. There's no way to avoid it. it we could have avoided it. We could have if we tried. We weren't going to. That's By not talking about it, we made it. A, yeah, so. Uh, we either we acknowledge it or we don't acknowledge it, which makes it a meta joke. Uh, mm. Hate it. Mm. Anyway. So they're all on their way to school. Kamran shows up, invites Kamala and them to get a ride with him. Kamala goes in, nobody else does. But Kamran doesn't take Kamala to school. He, like, takes her off in this other direction. Kamala freaks out and gets knocked out, winds up in New Adeline. Turns out that Kamran, this other villain whose name I am blanking on for some reason, the kilowatt to the face lady. Lineage. They are in league with a new villain named Lineage, who is a kind of inhuman supremacist rebelling against queen medusa trying to take over the inhuman society oh the the sparky villain's name is kaboom because oh of course sure. it yeah it's very basic so anyway lineage tries to coerce kamala into joining them kamran tries to coerce kamala into joining them kamala doesn't want to she feels betrayed by Kamran, she manages to get her phone and sends a message to Bruno, who ducks out of science class and hires a like a water taxi to come over and try to pick him up. Kamala gets in big fights with everyone, manages to knock Kamran out, manages to escape with Bruno. They jump into a garbage chute that dumps them into the uh, river, and they make their getaway. And that's kind of where the story ends. It's, it's three issues, in and out. Yeah! I'm going to say that I don't think this is the best Ms. Marvel story because that's, you know, currently number one on our list. I do think this is my favorite of the Ms. Marvel stories that I've read, uh, which I've read most of G. Willow Wilson's run on the character and quite like it. So what do you all think? I think it's pronounced Gwillow. <laughs> G. Willow Wilson. I absolutely loved it. All of it. All of it. All of it. The art style is terrific. Just gorgeous colors and uh, cool, unique styles. I'm trying to place 
like lineage reminds me of somebody and I can't quite place it. I love that Bruno is in chemistry class and his teacher is Doc Brown. 1.21 gigawatts is written on the blackboard in his notebook. There is a drawing of the flux capacitor. It's hilarious. Because it, I looked and I was like, oh, a science teacher looks like a mad scientist. Wait a minute. And like noticed like, oh, no, that's straight up Doc Brown. Like that's, yeah. Yeah, there are a lot of weird little art shout outs. Uh, Leonard Nimoy is in a panel. Oh, really? I missed that one. Yeah. yeah well, I missed the Doc Brown one for some reason. I mean, it cut the garbage shoot. Like that's just a straight up like reference. Like, yeah. But where's Leonard Nimoy? Oh, I'm trying to find it. I took a, I took a grab of it somewhere. Oh, it's in, it's in the third issue, page eight, when Bruno is running to catch up with Kamala. Like he runs past a bunch of people and there's a guy who looks like Leonard Nimoy with the bowl cut and his ear like goes off the panel. So it kind of looks like it's going to go to a point, but you can't actually tell if it's going to go to a point because the back panel or border cuts it off. That's totally him. Look at that. <laughs> I was distracted by his like Siri. Uh, rip off his sherry yeah that's straight up leonard nimoy that's really funny i need to look up uh what the like the way that this was colored because i love it it feels like either uh like it feels like you know, like really good colored pencil maybe it's squash um i should know i don't embarrassed that i don't know but steven pointed out this is the same artist as uh, spider-man loves mary jane yeah which bothers me. Sure is. Mm-hmm. Bothers me because I really enjoyed the art here and uh, did not enjoy that book. So I don't think it was because of the art, though. I think it was because you guys tricked me into reading. I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. That was a fantastic book. Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, when we when we revisited it, or when I revisited it for the podcast, I recognized that Miyazawa's art was very... Like, it was clear that he was still honing his craft. I think by the time he gets to Ms. Marvel, he has really hit his stride. Yeah. Uh, there's... I love the way that he draws clothes. For some reason, that really stuck out to me. Like, when we first see uh, Kamran, his shirt fits very nicely, but you can see that there's, like, the button. Like, where the buttons come together, there's a bit of the, the shirt that folds out, so you can... Like, there's really good attention paid to the, the folds of the clothing. When uh, Bruno is in science class with Doc Brown, like, his pants are sagging down and you can kind of see his butt like you can with teenagers who wear low-riding pants. It's like, there's such good attention paid to the way the clothing actually fits on people. I'm just massively impressed with the art. The colors are really good, too. Kamala Khan's powers are sometimes, I think, actually kind of difficult to display visually. Like, how do you show the changing in size? And one of the ways they address this here is actually through the coloring, mm -hmm. where when she's actively using her powers, like, the coloring shows, like, it gets more bright, more yellow. Sometimes we can see, rather than having, like, multiple images changing size, like we often see, it's like you can see the outline of where Kamala was in yellow, but she's shrunk down, so the inks have her smaller. It really helps to sell the readability of some of these images. So anyway, like, artistically, I think the this art team works really, really well together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's also, I mean, you mentioned about Miyazawa kind of coming into his own, really kind of hitting his stride right around this point, right? Like late 2010s or mid 2010s, I guess, specifically. Right. And kind of looking back at some of the art, specifically, I looked up the art for Mary Jane Loves Spider-Man, which was the book that we read that John Hayes is wrong about. <laughs> <sighs> 
But I think one of the things that's really interesting is like the confidence in the line work specifically. When you look, when you go back and you look at uh, some of his earlier art, he uses a lot of thicker lines. You can tell. I feel like you can tell that he's using more like I don't know, like he's using like computer assisted like smoothing to really give him like even thick lines. Whereas in this book, I feel like you have a lot more confidence because there's a lot. The, the lines are a lot thinner. They're a lot more subtle, and it looks like like just kind of the the lead or not the lead up the the result of the experience right like he feels a lot more confident with his ability um, i want to shout out jake wyatt who did the cover of the second issue we read um he did i uh, also i think issue six which was after the previous arc that we've read where ms marvel meets up with wolverine i i like adrian alfona who was the original artist with uh g willow wilson but I think some of these art- other artists, Jake Wyatt and uh, Takashi Miyazawa, have like tightened up the characters a little bit in their design, and so we get a better sense of like what they look like. And like going through after you said that comment, uh, Stephen, about the clothing, um, you know, seeing the um, Kamala's brother all dressed up for a job interview in a nice suit, you know, um, all very professional, and then her friend come by in like a puffy coat or whatever, like that added a bit of realism without like you know trying to go for like you know photorealism or whatever but it added a sense like you could tell the texture of you know the coat or whatever and it, it like it helps you get more immersed in the scene i think you know where i i don't think i noticed that consciously last time you know reading through it but looking over it just now when you mentioned that it was like oh yeah that, that's a really like, great detail but i i liked how um clean it was compared to previous uh, like Adrian Alfano, like I like I like the designs and everything like that, but like the you know like Aldo was saying, the neatness of the line work and everything was really. Um, so I was much more active on Twitter like five years ago than I am now, and I followed Takeshi Miyazawa when he announced that he was putting a lot of his art up for sale, his original art, and he was selling pages from this story. I wound up getting a couple of pages, not from this story, from one of the other series that he did with. Uh, from the next series of, of Ms. Marvel, the post-Secret Wars relaunch. But I will forever be sad that I didn't get on that sale quickly enough to pick up page 14 of issue 13. That's the, the issue, or that's the, the scene when Kamala runs into the alley and does the Superman thing where she rips her jacket open and shows the, the Ms. Marvel lightning bolt yeah. underneath. Yeah, missed it. Not sure I could have afforded it anyway because that page was expensive. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's like, I I think there's an argument to be made or that Kashi Miyazawa is my favorite Marvel artist. And it, a lot of it is because of the work that he does in these three issues. Such a fan. Aldo? Yes. Sorry, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't have, I don't have much else to add to the, uh, you know, speaking about art. Um, <laughs> I do kind of want to circle back to the story and I want to read more of this Miss yes. Marvel run, specifically like Willow Wilson's. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> specifically her run on this book because something that captures me every time I, I we read some of this Miss Marvel stuff is how excellently she captures a lot of that immigrant experience mm-hmm. and I find a lot of this book even though I'm not uh I, I don't know where they're from are they like meant to be Pakistani I can't remember yeah is it Pakistani okay yeah Every time they talk about that Pakistan, there's a lot of the nuance in that that I don't get right. Like the stuff that's very specific to being a Pakistani immigrant. I do get a lot of everything else. Everything that's like one level above that. Like it, it's so relatable. Like finding somebody who also 
unironically likes the movies from like your culture that all of your modern friends or white friends don't care or or listen to or all that stuff i get i get super (laughs) excited especially nowadays i'm a little bit older and i think my parents taste in music has finally kind of settled into my taste of music so when i find other people around my age who also enjoy like the old like vicente fernandez music or a lot of those like older uh movies like that, there's there's just that like a like a certain excitement that like you don't get very often. It's not the same as finding somebody else who also thinks Quentin Tarantino is a genius because everybody thinks he's a genius at some point. But <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a lot of that stuff that's relatable. I don't know if it's necessarily an immigrant thing, <laughs> but it feels like it is because it's the only people I've heard who had to do that. But like when my sister was dating, I had to tag along on a lot of dates <laughs> because she was not allowed to go with a boy by herself and so i i spent a lot of time in arcades i was bought off very easily paid off very <laughs> easily <laughs> and so like that was something i thought that was hilarious uh, you know the the funny part here is that the brother is the older one not necessarily the younger one but it, again i thought that was that was really funny the whole idea of like you know it's these old friends like the first family or the first friends that you made in the country you have to you like you have to to go visit them like you have to do this just out of respect right not even like a like you owe them anything it's just out of respect for like that shared experience that's something that i never i don't think i've ever really seen mentioned in a in like a book or something like before so like a lot of that immigrant experience that miss marvel that kamala kind of goes through especially because i went through a lot of that stuff kind of around the same age as, as kamala so like i've I obviously i've gotten past like a lot of that type of stuff the same way that kamala's you know figuring herself out in that world as an immigrant as a as a first generation in the united states and just kind of being surrounded by people who don't necessarily look like her or are part of like her heritage and stuff and trying to like toe that line between staying true to her roots and not or not not necessarily not right but also adapting to like the new place that she's in and figuring out where she fits in between those two things even in a short little story like this that plays like a big factor in a lot of those things and and in here we see a lot of that right we see that one from like the dating thing you know kamala it's improper for for you to be alone with a man at you know whatever right her mom telling her if she can at least wear like a hood or some or uh, i forget the name for the uh, like the sash that they wear the when she goes the hijab when they go when she goes out running right because she doesn't want her to she doesn't want people to see her hair all messy while you know running whatever so you get like a lot of like a lot of that stuff that's kind of part of the daily life but there's also there's other things that also affect her which is like or not even her right the people around her like that conversation that that her brother has with bruno about bruno not being able to which i think if as an outsider or not even as an outsider i guess as a as like an american or somebody who doesn't necessarily have a family that is that set in its ways because I feel like there's a lot of like white cultures or you know immigrant cultures um that still act like that and and like that is a hard conversation to have a quote unquote like outsider and I think that's a conversation that like my parents probably had with us you know a couple times about like you know it'd be great if you could you know marry like a like a mexican or a hispanic or something like that you know stay close to the culture blah 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 my parents have like softened up on that stance pretty early on to nowadays nowadays they just they just want any grandchildren (laughs) 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 just any just adopt one buy one import one it doesn't matter just (laughs) just a grandchild (laughs) so 
but yeah, but like that conversation that the brother had with with Bruno about like you're not gonna you're not gonna date her, you're not gonna marry her. Is our parents' wishes, and then the the part where he's like, you know, if you love Kamala, you will respect that, you will want that for her too. And that's obviously the family and even the brother projecting on Kamala, right? Because we don't really get a solid answer, at least not in this arc. Maybe later in the book, we get like a solid stance on how Kamala feels about dating outside of her cult. But in the yeah. meantime, that conversation with Bruno, like that hit pretty hard. Yeah, it's good stuff. The Han family is all like, we don't go out with Bruno. No, we don't stand Bruno. No, don't. <laughs> but yeah, the... Uh... The story here is really fascinating to me, in part because of all of the, the immigrant experience that Aldo mentioned. I think uh, Wilson has a couple of advantages. One is that she was an immigrant herself. Not in the United States. She was born in Colorado, if I remember correctly. I've, I've actually read a memoir of her. Ah, the ancient and faraway lands of Colorado. Yeah. She also lived in <laughs> Egypt. She lived in Cairo, Egypt with her husband for a while. So there's all of that. But also the book was edited by Sana Aminat, who is the one of the, the creators or the co-creator of Ms. Marvel. And Aminat is a Pakistani-American child of Pakistani immigrants who lived in New Jersey. Isn't, isn't Amina also editor-in-chief or an editor-in-chief at Marvel yeah. right now? She's an editor. I don't know if she was an editor-in-chief, but yeah. If you if you look at her um, Wikipedia page, she's presenting Ms. Marvel Volume 1 in the Blue Room of the White House to President Obama. So that's cool. That's a good flex to have on the you know, your Wikipedia page. Okay, but like, yep. also, that's I feel like that's easy because like uh, Obama's a comic book fan. <laughs> Right. <laughs> he was in Spider-Man. But yeah, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, you. It, it would be, yeah, it would be a better get if she was like, you know, presenting it to Taft or something. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> hey, Taft, I know, you, I know you've been dead for a while, buddy, but you gotta, you gotta read this. <laughs> She's at the cemetery, ah, uh, James Buchanan, if only you could see how many issues we have in print. Um... But yeah, like one of the things that I like about this run of comics in particular, the the G. Willow Wilson run on Kamala Khan, is how often the stories deal with really heavy issues in a way that is like accessible, but not really like overwhelming. So all of the stuff with Kamran and how he kind of betrays Kamala's trust like, maybe I'm reading too much into it. To me, it reads like a rape metaphor. Like, she talks about getting taken advantage of. And I really got that vibe, too. Yeah. His yeah. whole vibe was very aggressive. And she was like, no, I don't want this. And it was, yeah, really kind of, ooh, there once, you know, the gloves are off. And I, and I think what really drove that home, too, at least at least the part where I... Because there was a moment where I was like, is this... Is this like an allegory? Is this a metaphor? And the part that really cemented that was the part where Kamala was like, oh no, did I, like, th this is my fault. Like, I did get in the car with him. Like, I made these choices. Like, this is my fault. Like, yeah. And that's the part where I was like, oh no, this is, this has got to be intentional. There's no way this isn't. Right. And it is scary and it's sad and it's, it's intense. And yeah, I, I, like it. It's part of the reason that I say this is my favorite of the of the Ms. Marvel stories is because it's got this depth with a really, really deep topic. I do think they go a bit overboard. Like, I, I think the line about Kaboom, you know, being a terrorist who's going to give the rest of the Inhumans a bad name, I that strikes me as being a little on the nose, but 
tiniest of nitpicks, right? I don't, it's not actually that big a deal. It's still overall a very strong story, I think. And, and that sort of metaphorical element is part of what puts it over the top for me. And that's consistent throughout the run. We saw it really strongly with the first story arc where there were all these questions about immigrant identity stuff. And that, like, there are elements of that throughout the whole, whole run. This one happens to focus on some issues that I think are really, really important. And I think it's done really well with Takeshi Miyazawa art. So I've got very few complaints about this story. I think one of the things, I don't want to say that it's a bit of a complaint, right? Because... It's not that I don't want there to be rape metaphors in my comics. That's a weird sentence. It's not that I don't want those in, in the comics. I, I feel like, you know, if the story calls for it, it's done respectful. There's a reason for it to be there other than shock factor. Absolutely valid. I mean, we did just talk about uh, Pride of Baghdad. Yeah, that is shock value. Yep. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> but I think I think my only complaint here is I wish that had been part of like a longer and maybe it is maybe it's part of the longer run that happens after this or you know the next arc. Or I feel like in this arc though I don't I don't like how quickly at least for me personally I don't like how quickly it switches from like this is a big issue she's really doubting herself to like it's not anymore right like it feels like it, like that at least that specific issue is like resolved really quickly and I kind of would have wanted a little bit more introspection into that may maybe i don't i don't know if like what i'm saying makes a whole lot of sense but it's not that it felt like lip service but it feels like it it was close to it it's very abrupt and kind of like what you talked about with that captain america story a couple weeks back uh if you take serious topics and you get through them very very quickly like just giving lip service to it it, it feels very insincere mm -hmm. I think what saves this story from that level of insincerity is the grounding in the immigrant experience. Yeah. Because that's really the the core of what makes Ms. Marvel so compelling. And the rest of this is just like, are they, are they talking about, are they, oh, interesting. And it gives you something else to kind of talk about, but that's not really the root of, of like what grounds the yeah. story. But yeah, I, I do I do agree that this feels very abrupt. I, I think what saves it for me though is even though we don't get like that kind of introspection and really kind of that I guess investigation into the metaphor as a whole, right? At least for me, what kind of saves it is that Kamala ends up owning it, right? She she's the one who ends up saving herself out of that situation. She's the one who kind of snaps herself out of it. And I think for me that's kind of what saves it. It's not some Deus Ex Machina. It's not that Bruno comes along and gives her like the pep talk and all of a sudden she's yeah. powered through it right it's entirely based on her ability to to kind of figure out that she is a victim she's not or not the victim she is the one who is getting essentially played by Kamran and not the opposite way right it's not her fault right and there's a lot of oh geez that just highlighted something else that I really like about this Bruno has a role to play mm -hmm. like he's there for one thing he does like bail her out it's like you're at a party and things go in a direction that you don't want to go and so you call your friend who comes and they pick you up and they take you out and they listen to you while you cry it out with them that's the role bruno is playing here except instead of being at a party you know you're at an inhuman base <laughs> in the middle of <laughs> yeah. the the hudson river or whatever they are and it's just like i don't remember where they are but yeah it's like sort of typical teenage drama 
ramped up to a superhero level, but one in which the regular teenagers are still able to play a part. Like, Bruno is a part of this story, of the superhero elements of the story. And again, as we go through the series, we see the other teens in Kamala's orbit also kind of getting involved in the superheroics. And that's one of the reasons I think that Ms. Marvel does so well on, like, bookshelves, is that it is a kid's story or a young adult story. Whatever is in between kids and young adult, because this is, like, for, I would say, 14 to 15. Queens? Something in between? Well, tweens is more like 12, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, because you're between your teenagers and your, you know... Preteen, yeah. Shannon Hale, young adult writer that I follow on Twitter, uh, actually made a point fairly recently talking about how that demographic of people from, you know, 14 to 15 years old, they're kind of underserved in the publishing industry because there's very little in between, like, children's literature and young adult literature, which is really for, like, 18-year-olds and tends to have more, like, almost R-rated material in it. Well, yeah, um, every time they try to cater to them, a bunch of, like, fat, middle-aged, cis, white men on YouTube get mad and blow a freaking gasket <laughs> and talk about how they're ruining Starfire. Jeez. Louise. Give it a I'd break. I'd like to mention that because I was like, Aldo, can you tell me Can you tell me which instance you're referring to? Because you got to be more specific, my <laughs> I'm man. So- <laughs> I'm sorry, you got caught in that crossfire, John. she was fine. Oh, she was fine. I'm not Starfire is fine. Gotham High is fine. Oh my God, I want to read Gotham oh, High. Oh gosh, I forgot about those books. Yeah. It's all fine. It's not for you. Not everything has fine. to be catered for you. And I love that, like, it's like, you're destroying my... No, you're not. You can, you still have the thing you love. Yeah. It's still there. Go go read it. You go still watch get, it. You still get your edgelordy, you know, Venom, Carnage stuff coming out. You got two Ugh. whole Venom movies. Don't tell me nothing's catered for you. Those movies suck and Just you got two of them. Put your fedora back on and get out. <laughs> Go watch the Snyder Cut of Justice League. I actually hear it's pretty good. Ugh, no. I, I want to watch it, but it's it's so long. <laughs> Here's the thing. I kind of want to watch it, too. That is the second Snyder Cut of a movie that I that is just too long, and I want to watch it. I'm not. No. <laughs> I've decided. I really... I, I'm a masochist. I really want to watch that four-and-a-half-hour Watchmen Ultimate Director's Cut. Oh, miss me with that. I think I watched that on accident. <laughs> Because I was like... Is it the one that has the comic book? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It kind of was a momentum killer. But, like, I spent, like, the day watching it in between (laughs) other stuff. And so, like, it still worked. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, I know the basic general story of Watchmen, but I've never seen it and watched it. And I was like, boy, they keep cutting this comic book. It's kind of a momentum killer. And then at the end, I was like, you know, I don't think I watched the theatrical version. Oh, well. At least I got the full story. Eh, it could have been better, but it wasn't terrible. You should just read the comic. Or don't. I actually don't like Watchmen very much. Or <laughs> you, should, you should watch the uh, the HBO series, though. I've seen the pilot, and it was really good. I but loved that's all I've seen. it. I wish... Yeah, this isn't the DC cast. Well, I, I wanted to ask Aldo, because you like mentioned... Uh, I, I liked this... this um, the, the struggle of this is not, oh, I, I'm an inhuman and I gotta, you know, do my superhero thing. I like that we get this perspective where, you know, it's tough for Kamala not just, like, keeping a secret identity, but 
you know, being being an immigrant from, you know, a, a completely different culture than where she lives, there's a, a need to, like, integrate with your new culture. You want to be, you know, like your friends at school and like the people in the neighborhood. But you also have the expect- expectation on your shoulder of, you know, keeping your traditions alive by your family. Where it's like, you know, we want you to take these opportunities, that's why we came here. But also, you can't forget where you came from, which, I mean, you don't have the same connection to it like we do. But we want to keep the culture alive and it's going to die if we're not careful and you know all of this pressure and everything like that and uh, how do you balance that how do you how do you like you don't uh it's hard okay. <laughs> i mean it's really hard Done. i mean you don't I, yeah I, I think part of like what kamala does better i would not be surprised if this is a result specifically a result of g willow wilson and sana amanat being adults when they wrote this is i feel like when you're an adult you understand what parts of your culture or what part of like that desire of your parents that you dismiss in your youth and you try to as an adult you're like you know i didn't appreciate that or i didn't fully embrace that that part of myself kamala is pretty like willing to you know accept a lot of her culture like like pretty enthusiastically like she doesn't reject it she doesn't really shun a lot of it and i and i can't help but feel like that's a result of you know the two writers and creators already being adults kind of like how i was mentioning earlier how like a lot of you know musical and kind of artistic takes of like my culture didn't really settle with me until kind of my adulthood i think that's something that they're able to portray because i think at least based on my personal experience and the very very few like immigrant friends that i had growing up that it's not super easy to grow up here and be super gung-ho about staying in your culture. Yeah. And maybe it's because of your teen years. Maybe it's just because of who you're surrounded by. But it's very, I think it's it's really common, probably, to be rebellious about that. Except instead of just being rebelling against your parents, you're also rebelling against, you know, your kind of birth culture. Do you see people like her older brother swinging the other way when they get a little bit more mature and really embracing their culture? In your in your experience oh yeah my sister was like that she she was like that and especially because i you know my sister's always <laughs> i say she's always been older than me as if you know she was <laughs> that was ever <laughs> as of like she's always been older than me except for that one weird march <laughs> <laughs> that was a weird march <laughs> but you know my sister having you know been the oldest i think she maybe got that perspective a lot but my sister also grew up in mexico for like a while like enough to have solid memories and with the culture with the family stuff that i didn't ha- really have so i think she was always more like Kamran about that stuff like i was definitely the kamala in kind of that relationship my sister really was like no 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 you have to be better with your spanish no no you don't understand like why we do this no you should watch like like i know i know you want to watch power rangers but the soaps are on and you know mom loves those so just learn to watch those and like them <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a lot of that type of stuff i think obviously my sister did rebel because you know dating is important to each girl but yeah for i think for a lot of other aspects of like embracing the culture my sister was definitely closer to that to the brother in the book than like i probably was it's it's hard because you know america is supposed to be accepting for everybody that's kind of the point right like this is a place where everyone can come and you know whether you're born here or become a citizen later you're you're an american period but that's not really how it works is it and that's 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 the rough part is you know there's i would like it to be you know more of a melting pot than it is but you know there yeah 
I think a lot of that also depends on where you're coming from. I can't, I would be really interested to to know the differences between G. Willow Wilson's, you know, I guess not immigrant because she said, Stephen mentioned that she's born here, but like her, I guess, othered experience growing up in Colorado as opposed to Amanat's experience growing up in, in Jersey. Because I think a lot of that also really depends on the environment. I think if you're, if you're a Hispanic immigrant and you're growing up in California, that's pretty easy. I would imagine you're yeah. already surrounded by like a kind of an extension of your culture, right? Like it's a it's at the bare minimum of the yeah, much larger community here. Here in Utah, it's different. You know, we're all we're I'm located. I don't know how much we give away. <laughs> we are located in place, <laughs> place Utah, home for home of the stuff. In Utah, it's def- it was definitely different. You have a lot of uh, white Mormon communities. You have a lot of pocket Hispanic communities. But I think, at least in my experience growing up here, the other bigger minority group growing up was a lot of like uh i, th- I think i hope the proper term is like islander com- communities like tongue yeah, and the Pacific islander community mm-hmm. so a lot of a lot of that so even surrounded by people who look vaguely like me i was still you still feel very much like in that like an outsider both both like culturally and in some aspects depending on where you grew up uh religiously as well too especially in utah where the religion is such a big part of the culture it's yep. yeah it's super different so like and that's kind of why i when i was talking about that immigrant experience i was saying that a lot of the specifics about like the pakistani immigrant experience there's obviously nuances there that don't translate to like my experience one considering the area and two considering you know my culture but like a level or two above that there's so much so much overlap that it's kind of endearing if if i would have had a book like this growing up i think I, and i think i mentioned this when we read no normal i think miss marvel would probably have been my favorite hero mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, spider is and spider-man you know is my favorite hero there's always there's a lot of jokes in the hispanic communities about spider-man kind of being like the de facto hispanic comic book hero right like it's like if you're hispanic of course you like spider-man you're gonna buy a ticket to spider-man heck yeah you're gonna right that's a thing oh yeah I mean, to be fair, if you are a person, chances are pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at these box office receipts and, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like the only person who didn't see that movie. Oh, you'll get there, Steven. I promise. Someday. (laughs) But yeah, so like, so like that's, that's kind of a big thing. At least, you know, in my experience, Hispanic communities, it's that, uh, that Spider-Man is like a big thing. But that's because, you know, as... The last two Spider-Man related movies that have come out really came out to show us is that that's a big appeal of Spider-Man, right? It's the fact that we don't see anything of him and Peter Parker is relatable. He's one, he's bullied, he's othered, he's the nerd, he's, you know, struggling with money, financial, that's a, which is a lot of stuff that a lot of like minority families kind of deal with as well. So of course he's relatable to, to a lot of those communities. But at, at the same time as we don't really have a lot of other heroes to like attach yourself to so kind of personally, I think maybe X-Men you get that attachment. I think it's much easier, even though 80% of the X-Men still look like regular white Americans. But I think Miss Marvel really is something that was needed or, you know, still is needed a lot in, in comics and something that's being corrected, right? You know, we still have Peter Parker. We still have Cyclops. We still 
have Captain America or Steve Rogers specifically, right? But nowadays we have, you know, Sam Wilson, Miles Morales, Kamala Khan, Gwen Stacy. Like we have just a, like a bigger diverse group of these heroes, which, you know, we're lacking because how many, how many Hispanic kids like love Spider-Man, but then at the end of the day, it's like, oh, it's still Peter Parker. And now they have Miles Morales. Now they have a kid who looks and sounds and speaks like, like, and I think that's something that was needed. And again, if Miles Morales and Kamala Khan had been characters when I was growing up, I think I would have been, you know, a bigger fan of them specifically than I am of like Peter Parker. I I mean, I agree with with all of that. And thank you for, for like sharing all of that. I don't know that I have anything meaningful to add other than uh, hashtag same. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, that's kind of, again, that's why it makes me so angry when all these, like, dudes on YouTube get angry. Because it's like, you have yours. You have had yours for the last 70 years. Like, how, however oh, long, yeah. however long, like, Superman has been around. You've, you've had that. Let these kids, because like, it's not even books aimed at me, right? Like, this book isn't necessarily aimed at me. I, I find it relatable. I really do. And I think if I had... Really yeah, good. Yeah. And if I had a daughter or a son or, you know, I think this is... These are the books I would want them to read. And I think it's great because, you know, like I mentioned, it's somebody that looks, speaks, sounds like them now. And it's like, you know, if they do want to read Peter Parker or like or Spider-Man or, you know, all the classic stuff, that's still there. Yeah. Like this is more stuff for more people. And, and I was talking to somebody else about this and I know we've talked about it too, but it's this whole idea of like an industry or even a franchise cannot subsist on its own existing fan base uh -huh. at some point that fan base st stops buying books or we stop running out of ideas that cater to them so we have to like bring in new blood and the new people that we want to bring in we want to make sure that we have stuff for them that we can hook them in. and sometimes that means a hero that looks like them i mean that's the bare minimum i never i never understand the argument like you know oh how come i'm white how come i can't have pride in my race and men's rights and all? it's like we tried that we tried that for a long time People die. <laughs> and so I'm okay not having a parade for me. <laughs> you know, the people who came before me ruined my turn. And uh, I don't get a turn again for a long time. Everyone everyone needs to get their chance uh, in, in the spotlight. Because I would like a parade again. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to happen for another like 2,000 years. And that's fair. You get 4th of July for now. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That's plenty. That's plenty. No Not complaints. Anymore, that's Hamilton's time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole longer conversation about how, like, race is a social construct and white isn't really a race the same way black is because for a lot of black people, they don't actually know where they came from because their genealogy was stolen from them because they were stolen. Whereas I know exactly which countries I came from, except for that one branch of my family line where we think the guy was a draft dodger during the Civil War and he made up his name. Fun fact, my last name is not actually my last name. Like, the, the ancestor that I get that from, he made that name. Oh. oh. But that's a longer conversation that we are not really here to discuss. I think we're ready to rank. We've been talking about this for a long I've time. I've been talking about this for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had a lot to say. 
I really, I would, that was what hit me. I was like, I, I want to know more what Aldo's take is on this and where, you know, where those, those common lines are, you know, because that's, you know, it's, it's such an interesting spot to be in, mm-hmm. you know, and I think where, as Stephen mentioned, you know, we get these, these, you know, moments in a teenager's life where it's, help me, you call your friend, I'm at a party, I need to get out of here, this guy's being creepy. And it works here. And it's even more fun because it's I'm I'm in the you know in humans base. There's a superhero or a supervillain after me. Come get me, you know. Like the 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 moment like that works because there's some like reality to it, some truth to it, something that everyone can relate to. Um, Kamala works because you know she has the you know that same kind of hero spirit that we get with Peter Parker and a whole new perspective on you know the hero dynamic with with her cultural background and everything like that. I I don't get people who are like well you know. Like you're just, I it just like don't complain about Ms. Marvel to me because she's terrific, and learn something <laughs> about another culture. It'll do good for you, and uh, then you can be nice to people and shut up. Most importantly, shut up. I I also really appreciate that we get like this very specific experience of like growing up with yeah. with Kamala Khan, and I'm, and I'm happy that we get it here because I think early on what that was kind of one of my complaints about Miles Morales is that one well, obviously he's not an immigrant, right? But we don't really get a whole lot of like his Hispanic background. So I believe he's Puerto Rican. I think is what his mom is. But but you know we get a little bit of him speaking Spanish. We get like a lot like we get conversations about about her family and kind of her culture and stuff like that. But that's not really a hundred percent like his culture, right? He because he's mixed. He's he's half uh, half black, half his. You know we get that because that is also a separate specific experience growing up. But we also get like this one, and like I I love like that kind of diversity in these two heroes that were they written or created twenty years ago probably would not have turned out nearly as interesting as they are now <laughs> absolutely uh, no offense to the scale of the writers but it was just a different time back in you know 2000 i don't i don't know that we would have had the <sighs> same success or even the same if, if ms marvel the the pakistani american muslim superhero came out in the bush administration oh oh <laughs> no <laughs> yeah that would have been rough indeed let's rank these stories Rio Morales is uh, from Puerto Rico. Good to know. Currently, on our list, we have 188 stories. Because everything here is kind of Ms. Marvel, Captain Marvel related. Number one on our list is No Normal, the introduction of Kamala Khan. Number 33 is In Pursuit of Flight, which is the first Kelly Sue DeConnick Captain Marvel story. And the only other Captain Marvel story I think we have is... The Y stands for freedom at number 101. Oh, and we've also got that election day issue of um, Ms. Marvel. I don't, oh, that's number 124. It wasn't, that wasn't super great. Yeah. Clearly. Uh, where do we want to rank Enter the Flurkin? Re- is it enter or release? Release the, the one where Captain Marvel finds out her cat is a creature. <laughs> you know, everybody's favorite episode of Friends. <laughs> the one with a cat. That's so Phoebe. Um... Smelly flurkin, smelly flurkin. Oh, no. What are they feeding you? Everyone. What have I unleashed? Because it eats everyone. Um, I. It's not a bad story. It's a filler issue. It's a quick two-issue arc, and it's just kind of like, well, 
Uh, sure is sure is a thing. So it's definitely above like the bad line, but also where is the like meh 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 like where's that area? It's an like, inconsequential, inoffensive, feel good story. Well, not even feel good. It kind of reminds me of Y stands for freedom. Actually, mm-hmm. that's fair. I that that one line loving things means opening yourself up to them. That really gets me, but I'm not sure that it's enough to to put it up super high i kind of just want to put it like at 101 you know i don't have any argument against or for that yeah i have the same opinion on that on that ranking as i do with the book it's fine (laughs) it's fine whatever (laughs) (laughs) i do like it more than what the duck so that fits yeah yeah okay okay uh that's our new our new number 101 that was easy I love that that one line like just edges it out right above Y stands for Yes, I don't remember a single line from Y stands for Freedom. I think there was decent stuff in it, but nothing that, yeah. I don't know. I think that's a good spot for it. Where do we want to rank Crushed? I feel like this is a harder one. I really liked it, and the art was just excellent. I, I would, you know, put it pretty high here. But the higher I go, the more risk I take of getting argued with and i don't like that <laughs> okay, to, to be fair i think i think you'd have to go pretty high before you get any solid counter arguments from us i'm not saying it goes this high but the first story that i look at and i'm like that is definitely better is new dawn which is the silver surfer story with dan slot that's at number 15 or excuse me number 16 and i don't even say no that i necessarily think it's better because again Crushed is my favorite Kamala Khan story that I've read. I just have a hard time saying that we should put it above New Dawn because New Dawn is the start of a really exciting new Silver Surfer series with great Mike Allred art. And this is one part of a really good run, but it's not the most essential part of that run. Uh So I would put this... And again, I'm okay with us taking it down because the minute I look beneath it, it's like, oh, that's Marvels. Marvels is really good too. But that's kind of my ceiling would be in that area. Because I, I don't think I've got a good faith argument to say that it goes higher than that other than just pure personal preference. I, th- I think for me, the problem is when you're in that area, you're also talking lo- against a lot of legacy. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's right. I keep going down from there because of that, where I'm like, this is a this is an excellent quick arc, but it's not, you know, a whole, it's, it's not, um. Uh, What's the, uh, like, parable, you know? Jeez, I like this almost as much as I like parable. (laughs) I really like the story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, by no means this is, like, a bad book, right? But, like, (laughs) Kamala Khan getting a crush doesn't necessarily have the same, like, pedigree of lineage as the coming of Galactus, right? (laughs) Yeah. Right. So if we're taking legacy into consideration, then, I don't know, maybe between Dark Phoenix and Unthinkable. That's still really high. Yeah, actually, for me, actually, okay, and not now that that's like much higher than where I was looking at. I was looking at Doctor Strange: The Oath as like a solid kind of ceiling for me. Same, because I like it better than Black Bolt, Hard Time, and Forget Me Not. Um, my floor would be like this: Karnak at thirty-five. Karnak was very good, uh, but this, this, like, I, I connected more with the character. I think part of what edges it out, or, or like some of the stuff like Heroes Reborn, or even like Runaway, part of like why that kind of edges out, crushed for me is the fact that those are bigger, more complete stories, and not that this isn't a complete story but it definitely does feel like a chapter of a larger story right just a way to introduce a couple of elements that are going to feature into the long-running you know story of kamala khan and like setting up future adversaries and allies and you know setting up bruno you know like this is this is the state of that 
character's relationship with the main character. Or even just setting up, like, some of the mental, like, personal feeling stuff that'll come up regarding, like, her relationship. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And I imagine that once we have all of the, more of the Kamala Khan stuff, once we rank it all as a whole, I'm pretty sure it'll still be really high up. Kind of like Hawkeye. I don't know that we will rank the whole thing together. Because, like, Hawkeye is one story. Yeah. But Ms. Marvel is... A series like it was written for the trade, so each trade, give or take, is its own story. Apparently, it also sells digitally much better than it does physically. But I guess that's also telling of the audience. I think you have kids who just want the story, like they don't, they're not really in it for the collectibles. If they want the collectability, they got Funko Pops, <laughs> the terrible, <laughs> crappy, boringly designed Funko Pops. <laughs> Are you talking about all of them or just the Ms. Marvel? All ones? of them. All, <laughs> I don't like Funko Pops. They're so lazy. All right. I'm going to send you a picture of my shelf right now. Oh, you know what I'm going to see? It's probably at least at least 20 pair of big black dots. No. <laughs> Prove you wrong. <laughs> Any, anyways, yeah, I think I think Doctor Strange the Oath is kind of like my heart seal. Or soft, medium, medium strength ceiling. I'm fine. I'm fine putting it right there and, and immediately bumping down the oath. <laughs> like we just ranked it at 29 and it's Oh, oh, wait, wait. Oh, no, I meant like below the oath. But, oh. but if you're saying above the oath and Steven agrees with that, I'm fine with that. I would prefer to put it above the okay. oath. I, I really like this book and you know all right that's cool this book doesn't exist without runaways though correct and i think that's enough to give runaways the edge over it so i think that's actually a really good spot for it that would be number 29 Sick. sweet well so speaking of series that we're gonna put together and and like rank everything at the end we're actually gonna continue a couple of story arcs that we've previously started and said we were gonna come back to proving we mean what we say no matter how long it takes every now and again we actually keep a promise <laughs> so the first story that we're gonna revisit is the jane foster jason aaron run on thor with the mighty thor numbers six through twelve which is the second trade of thunder in her veins and then we're going to go back to the world of Superior Spider-Man and read the next chunk of issues, which I think we read issues one through five to start with. So I'm going to say we just read issues six through nine, which uh, gets us through the end of Troubled Mind. Where is Superior Spider-Man on our list currently? Not as high as you want it to be, if I remember correctly. No, because I'm looking in the top 10 and it's missing. And I'm, look <laughs> and I'm looking in the top 20 and it's missing. Wait a minute. My Own Worst Enemy, it is currently number 45. What? It's just the first story arc, John. We will rectify this soon. Can I say that we should read up to issue 10? Because 10 is kind of standalone. And after that... Is 10 standalone? Yeah, it's Independence Day. And then issue number 11 is No Escape Part 1. Okay, yeah, let's throw issue 10 in there. Um, I only, like, was going off of the app. And the app de describes issue 10 as a perfect jumping on point. Huzzah! Because it's not connected to the other things. That makes sense. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I think issue six is not really connected to everything, but I think our intent here is to rank the entire Superior Spider-Man as one story arc when we're all said and done. Breaking into the top 20, suckers. Because they were doing this, and it was really dumb that they were doing this. Are you reading just only number six, or are we also reading 6AU? No, what? What? 6AU was like the Age of Ultron tie-ins. Oh! Well, no, that's Crystal's Gage. Nah. Dexter Soy. Uh, nah, we can skip that. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a different team. Okay, yeah, that's a whole different Why do they have two issues six? <laughs> Why did you do that to me? Numbering things like uh, Microsoft 95, 98, Vista! <laughs> Millennium! <laughs> 
Millennium. Ten. <laughs> Millennium was a really good Backstreet Boys album. Everybody. I'm sorry. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. We need to. We need to put the. Hold on a second, Aldo. We need to address it. You what, Stephen? I want it that way. You are fired. My fire? No, fired. The one desire, <laughs> believe, when I say, I want it that way. Tell me why, Steven, you listened to that album. Because I was a teenager. And Tell me why. <sighs> John has a problem with pop music. While also at the same time, some stuff he likes just unironically. I, you know, I had a friend that was listening to the podcast. And they were asking how we do such a good job at like the banter and like making it sound like we're not in different houses and stuff like that. That's because we're not Backstreet Backs. We're in sync. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boo.